This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest is Tina Seymour Demoran from the Seymour Law Firm of Biloxi. And our topic today is about adoption. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It's always great to have Tina Seymour uh, Demoran on the show. Uh, she's got... Uh, degrees not only in law but respiratory therapy but uh, has been awarded multiple times by the Mississippi Bar. She's been a, le- a leading business woman in, woman in Mississippi, uh, top entrepreneur, top CEO, and she's a frequent guest on our show and we're really always happy to have her. Well, Good morning. <laughs> Welcome Tina, we're glad that you've joined us today. Uh, it's great to talk to you again. Well, we're glad to have you. And, you know, adoption, you do family law and you do estate planning. And adoption always seems to me to be one of the happier sides of, of the family law practice. The you know divorce side and some of those issues are, can be a little bit uh, less enjoyable. But it seems like to me typically adoption ends in a happy, happy moment. Most of the time, usually, yes. We, um, I was the compliance director for Mississippi Children's Home Services for many years. And we saw from the special needs and foster care adoptions, and it was absolutely wonderful to place a child with a family who was loving and supportive. From the attorney side of it, now that I do private adoptions, it's probably one of the best parts of my practice, being able to stand up front with the judge and the adoptive kids and the new parents and just feel the joy in the room. It's really one of the few shining moments of being an attorney. Well, I've worked with students who have done uh, adoptions through clinics and things like that, and that always seems to be a really uh, pleasurable experience for everyone. Uh, and I understand we already have a call. Uh, we do. We're going to go ahead and go to Brenda in Ridgeland. Brenda, thanks for calling in to this adoption show on In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I've had my grandchildren. I've had my 10-year-old, my granddaughter. Since she was a year old, I have legal guardianship. Since then, since she was a year old. I also have my five-year-old granddaughter. The judge gave me, um, um, you know, uh, permanent uh, custody of her. And I want to adopt them. I've had the five-year-old since she was eight months old. She is now five. And uh, I've uh, been her legal guardian since she was legal by the judge since she's about three and i want to know the process to actually adopt them i would like to adopt them well first of all what it was nice talking to you today and i would like to say that congratulations on stepping up and taking care of the kids it's always wonderful to be able to place a child with a grandparent or a family with a relative whenever the mother or father, for whatever reason, are unable to take care of the children. Second of all, having the guardianship, 
I want to make sure everybody understands does not mean that the parental rights have been terminated. So in order to terminate the parental rights, you still have to go through the court procedure, which means you need to go through and talk to either a, an adoption agent, well, basically a service through DHS or a private attorney. You'll have a home study that needs to be done. You'll have to show your medical history. You have to file for it in Chancery Court and go through the steps of Chancery Court. Another thing that you need to look at is there are subsidies available for someone who is in a low income bracket or who can't afford those legal fees. And I'm gonna send some of those links over to Liz at the end of the show today so we can put that online. Okay. So basically, I guess the first step would be to talk to an attorney in your area and let them walk you through the guidelines for the Chancery Court and then see what you can afford and talk to state agencies about the different subsidy programs available to help you afford it. Okay. Um, I have one more question. Uh, one of the child children has their father's last name, but the ten-year-old doesn't. Uh, is that the same process to get her name uh, put into a father's name? Can you repeat the question? She said more? one of the children uh, has a different last name, has the father's last name. Do you go through the same procedure to, I guess, get everyone the same last name? It really, it really goes to the biological parents who are who what, who needs to have their parental rights terminated. So regardless of the child's last name, it goes to the the birth parents, the natural parents that you have to terminate the rights from. Brenda, we thank you so much for calling in. And uh, like our guest, attorney Tino, Tina Seymour Demoran <laughs> said, um, I try to put as much information and as many links on our webpage, on our podcast as I can from the show that we reference. You'll be able to get that information, legal terms, in legal terms, dot mpbonline.org where you can listen to the whole show it should be on after uh, probably about 3 o'clock this afternoon but if you have a question and would like to participate in our show we would love for you to call 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 you could also send us an email Legal terms at mpbonline.org. Tina, one of my questions is Do you, do you have your, is your practice, have you had more contact with the uh, uh, people adopting, or do you ever work with people who are giving children up for adoption? I would say 99% of my clients have been the people who are coming in to adopt a child. And I'd say about a, out of that, 50% are adopting through foster care. Well, Tina, how, what are the requirements for adoption in Mississippi? For example, do I have to be married to adopt? Uh, how old no, do I have to be? Um, 21 or older. You have to make sure that you have a medical history that is inducive, conducive to adoption. You can be single or married, but if you are married, you need to make sure that you've talked to your spouse and gotten their consent for that adoption for a variety of reasons because I practice family law and part of that's divorce. Um, you need to make sure that you reside in the state of Mississippi for at least six months prior to filing in the Chancery Court for that adoption. 
you have to be domiciled in Mississippi, which means you reside here and the court would have jurisdiction over you in order to approve the adoption. You have to do a child abuse registry check. You have to have a police record clearance for every adult in your home. That's one thing a lot of people don't understand. If someone has a background that lives in your home that would preclude you from having the chance to adopt, then you need to make other living arrangements for that adult or seriously think about whether or not this is something you want to go forward with because you can start the process, which can be lengthy and expensive, and find out that Cousin Joe, who has a felony background, who lives in one of your spare bedrooms and you don't want him to leave, could keep you from adopting that child. You need to have references for your employment and character. There's home visits. There's interviews with your household members. You need to have, make sure that just little things like having a smoke alarm, fire extinguisher, that you can support the child, that you have the minimum income to make sure that you can handle the needs of an additional family member. You have to have transportation available at all times. You have to do pre-service training. And the child needs to have his or, own, his or her own bed, which means, an, and also this is very important, no adult or child of the opposite sex can sleep in the same room with that child. A lot of the kids that go through the foster care and adoption process are considered special needs. And if you're looking at the fact that child may have a history of abuse, it's going to be hard to regain the trust, but it's worth it. It is so very worth it. And Tina, where could someone find out maybe a list of these requirements for adoption in Mississippi? There are several links. Um, I actually went through the adoption training myself in my former marriage. We were looking at adopting and did the entire home study, all of the pre-training. And it was actually very eye-opening and rewarding. One of the things that we did whenever we were looking at the process of adoption was we went to a link called Adopt US Kids. It has a wealth of information about adoption. It talks about the adoption guidelines for every state. So if you're listening from outside Mississippi, they can give you guidelines for that. It talks about licensing requirements. It talks about the contact information for your child protective services, about foster care adoption. It's really, it's a good place to start. There are other, the Mississippi Bar has some different links and some different information on it from the Mississippi Bar website. Um, there's just, I, I would just go in and do a Google. Considering Adoption is another good website. Fantastic. Well, we, we have a, Robert is holding, uh, but we need to take our first break. We're going to continue our discussion of adoption after the break. If you have a question about the laws concerning being a po- foster parent, for example, give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to our address, Legal Terms at mpbonline.org. We'll let you know a little bit more about our guest when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. 
Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show a bunch of different ways. Inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our guest is Tina Seymour Demoran, who's been a guest on In Legal Terms a few times in the past, as Professor Gershon mentioned earlier. She spoke about starting a business on February 20th, 2018, and about estate planning on April 4th, 2017. You can find both of those shows on our website or as our podcast. This morning we're talking about adoption, and we do have a call. This is Robert who is a truck driver. We love our truck drivers who go through Mississippi and listen to our local shows. Robert, uh, you're on In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, I have My question is pertaining to uh, an adoption that's already been taking place. Uh, some years ago, my wife went and had a baby and left it at the hospital. Okay. I, when I found out about it... Uh, she was eight years old. So do I still have rights to that child or or what? That's a tough one because I would have to look at the paperwork involved in the um, surrender of the birth mother. Usually in Mississippi, it's going to be hard to reverse an adoption or actually even get access to it. Most adoptions are closed, which means it's the original birth certificate and information about the child. Is sealed in a vault, and the only person that can get access to that is going to be the adoptive parents or the child itself, and that's usually only if the birth parents give consent for certain information. You can get a medical history background, stuff like that, but it's that's a tough one. I'll be honest with you. If she dropped off the baby, usually the process is that they either sign an affidavit that they don't know who the father is, or during the adoption process, summons and notices are posted to try to find the adopt the natural father. So I would contact an attorney in your area because your options are limited in that, but there may be something that you can do to find out about it. And what's that? I would, I would call an attorney in your area and sit down and see what their opinion would be because again, without looking at the paperwork specifically, you know, for your case and seeing what, how the process went, it would be hard for me to give an opinion or give you some advice on that one online. Okay. All right. I apologize. I wish I could help you more on that one. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Robert, for calling in. Does Mississippi still have the ability or the procedures where if an individual wants to give a child up for adoption, they can essentially leave the child somewhere with without a note or without anything? You can walk up to a fire department, to a hospital, there's safe spots, and children can be left in that and just walk away, as long as the child's in a safe location. Well, Tina, can, you know, one thing that Robert raised an issue, can you reverse an adoption? And, and not only in his situation, but let's say you've got a situation where a parent adopts somebody, and that child turns out to be very problematic. Uh, maybe the child has uh, severe emotional problems, and the parent decides to unadopt the child. Can you can you reverse an adoption? 
Yeah, I mean, you can actually go through that process. And sometimes a child, if they're over the age of 14, can have a very active role in that. If the child is disruptive or you find out that you have medical issues or there's a lot of different circumstances where the parents need to um, need to unadopt the child. You go through the legal procedure, but you're literally handing the child back over to foster care or you may find a, a natural you know, relative of the child, a blood relative to take it. But usually that's whenever they feel like it's not working out because there is a bad relationship or the child is not benefiting from the parental relationship. Sometimes there's special needs and it happens. But again, like I said, I actually had an adoption that went through about a year ago where the child wanted to be emancipated from the natural parents and had a job, had moved out and was able to be emancipated from the adoptive parents. Well, that's interesting. Now, you know, you mentioned before uh, about uh, having a felon in the house or something like that may prevent you from being able to adopt, but can a felon adopt themselves in Mississippi? It's rare. Uh, you have to look at the circumstances of the felony, how long it's been, what debt to society has been paid, and again, the circumstances surrounding the felony. The age of the person, I mean, if you were 15 versus 25 or 35, but it's it's hard to adopt as a felon in Mississippi, but there's some circumstances where you might be able to expunge or you might be able to explain what happened and the length of time has occurred. So it, it's rare to be able to do it, but there are circumstances where you can. And we're talking about adoption today with our guest attorney, Tina Seymour Demoran, and our expert, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you have a question about adoption, we would love for you to participate in our show. It's 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. Or you could send an email. Our address is legal terms at mpbonline.org. Let's let's talk about the cost of adoption, because I'm sure with so many uh, legal uh, hoops you have to to jump for, jump through uh, things to be filed and back, you know, check background checks. What are some of the costs that are associated with that? Foster care adoptions can go from zero cost up to a few thousand dollars. Um, if you're going through a private agency or if you're going through an independent adoption agency or a facilitated adoption, those can go anywhere from 5000 up to, unfortunately, 40000 or more. In inter-country adoptions, which means you're going out of the United States to adopt a child, they start at a higher level because you're looking at immigration issues, you're looking at having to pay costs for Basically, sometimes you have to make a donation to the country or the foreign, not the country, sorry, the foreign orphanage or the agency. So those can go upwards of $30,000 or more. It really depends on the circumstances around the child, if there are any special needs, the age of the child, the parents, your income, and which agency you're going through. Well, when you talk about cost and you talk about foster care adoption, I mean, if, if let's say I'm, I'm fostering a child and I decide to adopt that child, would the state give me some support uh, to help me with that adoption? 
Oh yeah, there there's um, adoption subsidies, um, Title Four, and I'm trying to think of the other one. Sorry, off the top of my head, but there's Medicare, there's Medicaid available. There's anyone that has a child that is a special needs child. That's someone that's six years or older. It might be a group of siblings, someone with a physical disability, a developmental disability, an emotional disturbance, a medical condition, or a history of abuse, or the child's at risk of having special needs. There's a, there's a lot of assistance as far as that for parents to be able to help them out, not just during, before the adoption process, during the adoption process, but after the adoption has taken place. Not only that, but there are tax deductions that you can take from your adoption fees, and those can carry up to three years. You mentioned that some of the, the fees are especially high if you go through foreign adoptions. What would be reasons someone would want to do that? Usually it's because you don't qualify for a domestic adoption. There are some people who, for medical reasons or for whatever reason, they. Um, I had a dear friend from high school who is an amazing mother, but according to U.S. guidelines, she was unable to adopt through the United States. So she and her husband went outside the United States to adopt. And the child is now 12, doing great. But it was because of the guidelines for adoption at the time, because she had a history of a medical condition that could be considered chronic, they had to go outside the country for her to be able to adopt with her husband. And I know uh, some people who have adopted from Russia and from China. And part of that, too, is because uh, they wanted to um, help those babies who were growing up uh, in in really bad conditions in, in those countries. And so, uh, you know, there, there are other reasons, but uh, mm-hmm. the one who adopted from China also did have diabetes, and that would have kept her uh, from adopting in Texas where she was. A lot of people ask me, I had cancer. Is that going to preclude me from adopting a child? I was diagnosed personally with cancer in 2008, and I will tell you that, well, I'm sorry, 2009, and I will tell you that didn't keep me from going through the adoption process. I did have to show that I had been in remission for a sufficient period of time and that the type of cancer I had was a type that wasn't going to be as aggressive coming back. But even medical conditions, if you can show a, you know, even if you've had it as, you know, in the past cancer, those type of, you know, medical conditions, sorry, (laughs) I was drinking coffee. Basically what you have to look at is talking to the agency and seeing if there are special circumstances where you might be able to get a waiver or you might be able to get around that medical condition. And you were right, Richard, there are so many people who just want to, they, they're either visiting a country, they're doing mission work, or they hear about the country and the difficulties that the children in that country are dealing with. They want to bring them over here and give them a better life. And that's, a, that's quite a few people as well who do the inter-country adoptions. All right. We are talking about adoptions today. Uh, We hope you'll give us a call and participate with us. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 with your questions. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We hope you're enjoying hearing from Tina Seymour Demoran. Her firm has some seminars coming up. We'll tell you about them when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. Uh, I'm Liz Gill, and we hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. Just between you and me, we kind of have a a contest to see whose show can get more subscribers, and we want to beat out Fix It 101. So subscribe to In Legal Terms. There are many different podcasting platforms. I use Podcast Addict. There's Stitcher and Spotify. You can download it to your Android. If you have an Apple, I believe it already comes pre-installed. But you touch the plus, that that'll take you to the page where you can search for podcasts. Then you type in the name of the show you're interested in, like In Legal Terms. It'll bring up uh, our show, and you touch the photo and subscribe. And that way, if you choose, you can be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about adoption with our guest, Tina Seymour Demoran. And the Seymour Law Firm, y'all host a lot of seminars just on a variety of different topics. You had one on adoption last Thursday, but uh, their website lists ones that are coming up such uh, on the coast, such as starting a business, ethical issues in jury trial selections, and one on dating. Uh, what What a broad selection you've got there. We, I, I've learned that it's better to be a preventive attorney than a fixing the problem after it occurs. So we try to cater our seminars around how to help a person address legal issues before they become a problem. So the dating seminar is literally gleaned from years of being a divorce attorney <laughs> and how to keep people from messing up in the first place. That is very fascinating. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a call now. We've got Paula, who uh, is calling in. Paula, thanks for calling in Legal Terms. Uh, you're on the air. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to ask about adult adoption. It's, um, I have a niece. She's been in, it's treated as, as though she was my child for 15 plus years and she hasn't had contact with her biological mother um, in this time but she is 31 and has children and they call me granny and I would I, I, I'd like to make that I mean more than just what she calls me well, unfortunately, if she, um, I mean, she's reached an age where adoption is um, outside the purview of the Chancery Courts. There are some children who can be adopted above certain ages if they're considered special needs. But I would say the best thing for you to do would be to talk to an estate planning attorney and make sure that she's taken care of if something ever happens to you and just enjoy that relationship. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a step-grandmother. I always joke and call myself the evil step, you know, mother-in-law. But I consider my granddaughter and the new granddaughter coming in three weeks as my kids. It doesn't need a formalized, legalized process for that to be a true relationship. As far as being able to adopt her, it's she's past that age of being able to fall under the laws of sanguinity for the probate process in Mississippi, which means you get adopted through the Chancery Court. But you can make an estate plan for her to make sure that whatever, you know, you leave behind can be given to her and her children. 
Okay, thanks. Thank you, Paula. We appreciate you calling in. And if anyone else would has a question or you would like to participate with our show, we would love for you to give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, Tina Dillis, how long does it uh, uh, take to adopt, say, a, a baby? Oh, goodness. It, it depends on whether or not a baby has been placed or have it's been found for you. So if you're starting at the beginning and just getting in to put your name in the running for a child, it can take years, unfortunately, to find a baby that is eligible for adoption because there's such a high demand. But once you found the baby, it really depends on the circumstances surrounding that child. Was there voluntary parental termination? Was it terminated through DHS foster care? What part in the process are you starting from? If you're starting from the very beginning and going all the way through with putting in the application for the baby, it could take many years. If the child has had the parental rights terminated, we're talking months to a year. If it's where you're having to go in and terminate the parental rights due to neglect, abuse, or other reasons, then that depends on really how long you can get in front of the judge, the chancery court docket. You'll have to have a guardian ad litem appointed for the case, which is an attorney who represents the interest of the child. And then you have to have at least one, if not several, hearings. Tina, with it taking years, is would it be quicker if you wanted to adopt an infant if someone got a special needs child or maybe someone who uh, wasn't Caucasian? I'll tell you, special needs children to me are the most precious adoptions. Nothing, no, nothing against kids who are not special needs, but special needs in Mississippi could merely be someone who's a little older, a child that's over six. It may be siblings who need to be placed together. So you might get two for the price of one, which is great, because now you have two children who are a bonded sibling group, and you have a new little family that has grown into maybe the ideal number for your family. Uh, A child of a different cultural background, you need to be careful with that, in that there's the American Indian Act that we have to look at and make sure that it's not a Native American child because they have special laws, and I won't go into that, that's a whole nother show, but they have special laws that surround who can and cannot adopt Native American children. If you're looking at a child of a mixed cultural background or a mixed racial background, it's, it, sometimes it seems like it's easier to adopt them because unfortunately they, they are perceived as being not a special need, but in a higher risk level for adoptions. I have seen multicultural and multiracial children adopted into families at a little more speed than what you would have if you're looking within your own culture, your own race for adoption. So yes, to answer your question, sorry, I rabbit trails a little bit, but yes, it's it's ideal to look at that. Well, Tina, one concern I have is, okay, we always think of adoption as a, as a positive thing, and I think it is, absolutely. But let's say I'm a grandparent, and my child has a child uh, that they give up for adoption. Uh, so that, you know, that child now is really no longer technically my grandchild. How do I keep a relationship with that child? How do I have visitation with that child? 
Oh, it depends on whether or not it's an open or closed adoption. If it's a closed adoption and that child is moved to a new location and all the information is sealed, unless you know the adoptive parents, it's almost impossible. If it's an open adoption, which I'm, believe it or not, that's the trend these days is to have an open adoption where you have contact with the birth parents, with the birth grandparents, then you have a little more um, options open to you. Unfortunately, Mississippi is one of those states where the grandparents don't really have a lot of rights when it comes to visitation or contact with the child. What we look at is we look at the relationship with the grandparents prior to the adoption. We look at if they're able to support and let the new parents be the parents and actually be the deciding factor on decisions for the child. We look at any kind of support, um, whether or not they were the ones that basically, you know, maybe they were the ones that babysat the child the entire time the birth parents were at work, or maybe like a prior caller, they were the ones that raised the children to a certain period of time. And then the birth parents stepped in, terminated their rights, and the grandparents, for whatever reason, didn't qualify or didn't have the ability to adopt. Or they may not have wanted to adopt, but they still want to have the relationship with that child. But those, are, again, those laws are really not very strong on the grandparent side. And in most adoptions, when you adopt the child and the parental rights are terminated, then the rights of the family are terminated as well. And that would affect the state planning as well. And you mentioned before the importance of estate planning. So if I am that grandparent and I want to uh, provide for that child who was my grandchild and still is my natural grandchild, but, but is no longer really my, my grandchild because of the adoption process, then I have to provide for that child in a will. Yes. Um, Mississippi has what's called the laws of sanguinity, the laws of blood, which basically states that you have, if you're a natural heir at law, you can be considered a natural heir at law if you were adopted prior to your 18th birthday through a chance report, and we actually have the decree signed by the chance report judge. I just closed a probate on an estate where the two sons were adopted prior to the age of 18. And, but we had to provide those chance report documents as well as you know, to make sure that they, the judge had sufficient proof of that. If you have, if you're a grandparent and your child decides to terminate their parental rights and let another family have that, have those children, your grandchildren, in order for them to be able to inherit, you need to make sure you speak to an experienced estate planning attorney to put it in writing because that child is losing the right to inherit from you as well. Hold on to that paperwork. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Let's let's uh, talk a little bit about you. You mentioned how long it does take to adopt. Um, what about uh, family leave or maternity leave or or new dad leave? Is Do many employers or does the state recognize and provide for that? Yes, Family Medical Leave Act is available for adoptive parents. It's as far as from the point where you're going through the classes in order to qualify, going through the classes in order to make sure that you're through the time it takes to get off from court to go meet with the attorney, with the guardian ad litem, to do the home study, as well as afterwards for that bonding process. So FMLA, the, the adoptive parents have several options under FMLA. And if a company qualifies under the FMLA statutes for them to be over them, then 
it would behoove that company to follow those FMLA guidelines as far as for adoptive parents and allowing not just the mother but the father time off to bond with the child. You know, it's so interesting. I'm going to make a comment, and that is um, there's so many steps you have to go through to adopt a child, and you have home studies, and you have to have uh, you know background checks and things like that. But to have a child, we don't have any of that. It almost <laughs> seems like that, if there was some way uh, to do some background checks and things like that before people had children, we, we may uh, be better off. But that's just, just well, my comment. And while I agree with you on that, we're getting into a whole different level of rights. <laughs> I, I will tell you that by and large, uh, most of the kids that come through the foster care system, the, the parents were either young or they had some type of background where they ran with the wrong crowd or there was a mental issue or some type of, type of psychological problem. So I agree with you on the fact that parenting classes should be mandatory co-parenting classes should be mandatory when you have a kid, mainly just because, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's scary to raise a child, especially in today's environment with all of the different forces that just come, you know, crashing down on you as a parent. If you have any kind of issue that could escalate that pressure, that stress, then yes, any reach out and get the, you know, the community support and reach out to the different resources you have. We have so many of our clients who come through with divorce, and 90% of their problems could be fixed just by therapy with the child, marriage and family therapy, co-parenting, anger management, couples counseling. All right. Well, we are about today. We're talking about adoption, and uh, we have just a little bit of time left. So call in now if you'd like to participate. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one. 1- 877-672-7464. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline100, uh, mpbonline.org. Have you heard about Rescue 100? We'll mention them when we come back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app as are all our local shows and on our podcast on whatever podcasting platform you use. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and we're talking with our guest attorney, Tina Seymour Demoran. I mentioned Rescue 100. This is a collaborative effort between the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services, the courts and churches representing all denominations across the state of Mississippi, And these organizations work together to streamline the training and licensing process for foster families 
Rescue 100 is committed to rescuing, training, and supporting foster families who provide loving homes for children in the state foster care system. Rescue 100 trains and equips foster families through online training courses and a one-day training to expedite licensing their homes so they can care for children in need in a stable and loving home environment. Orientation sessions and trainings are held throughout the year in all parts of the states. In August, there are some orientation sessions in Brookhaven, Columbia, and Mendenhall. And uh, Tina, have you worked? Is this have you worked with this organization? I have not had the opportunity and privilege to work with them yet. Most of my clients are through just regular private adoptions and some foster care. So I would love to attend some of these classes. I actually write them down whenever you're talking about them. Well, let's move on. And uh, talking about adoption, um, uh, privacy and adoption, you, you did hit on a little bit about what an open, you know, t- maybe tell us what an open adoption is, what a closed one, and how uh, Ancestry.com uh, has, how this is figuring into all of that. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that's definitely um, thrown a curve in the in the world lately. You, an open adoption means that the papers are not sealed confidentially to where the parents completely walk away from the child. An open adoption means that the child may have a relationship with the former birth parents and that they're sharing information about the child. I've seen some open adoptions where they go to the children's school programs. They're still very much a part of the holiday schedule, Mother's Day, birthday parties. Closed adoptions are where it's sealed, and the only people there's very few people who have limited access to those adoption to that adoption paperwork. Some people ask, well, when I turn 21, can I get information about my birth parents? If the birth parents gave permission at the time of the adoption for you to get that information, yes. If not, it's going to be extremely difficult to impossible to get. But medical information, your medical history, if you want to know if you have a history of cancer or a history of heart disease, you can find that information out. You just have to, you just have to request the information through the state agency. And, but I will tell you, most of the adoptions that I'm seeing these days are open because they see that that child still needs a connection to their roots. And it's, it's really refreshing to see the birth family and the adoptive family work together for the best interest of the child. Sometimes the circumstances are such that, unfortunately, that's not possible due to emotional abuse, neglect, abuse, psychological issues, so on and so forth. But if you can, I encourage people to have that open adoption process. Well, that's that's great information. I'm glad that people are working together that way. And I, I think, you know, with DNA testing, uh, there is so much information you can find out about yourself in any event and who your ancestors are. Uh, so uh, that's a positive step. Now, let me ask, uh, what about same-sex couples in Mississippi? Can they can they adopt? Yes, um, that was reversed, I think, back in 2016, the um, prohibition against same-sex couples adopting. So, yes, if you're a same-sex couple, you can adopt a child in Mississippi. So, definitely, I encourage any loving family to go out and help these kids find a good home. Well, in fact, I think we were the last state to uh, reverse that rule. And as you mentioned, it was 2016. But, you know, it's uh, the, the thing we should think about is, are these children growing up in a, in a loving home with support and a loving family? And that benefits all of us. Yes. All right. So 
can we talk a little bit about inheritance and adoption? We mentioned, we touched on it before, but what, what effect does my adoption, let's say I was adopted, uh, what effect does that have on me inheriting from my natural family? It terminates on the date of the um, adoption. When the, the parental rights are terminated, then the, any, any inheritance rights terminate as well. By and large, if you are a natural family member of the child who's been adopted out, again, like I told the caller earlier, you need to talk to an estate planning attorney and have your estate structured to where that child will receive it without having to go through the court procedure because the court recognizes blood heirs and adopted by chancery court heirs. So that's the biggest issue. But if you have been adopted by parents and you're one of four siblings, then you receive a child share as a natural heir if there's no will or you have the opportunity to challenge the estate for a child share. Let me rephrase that. And you will inherit as a sanguine heir if you're adopted through a chance report just as much as the blood children of that couple. And would that apply to more distant relatives? Let's say that uh, the the blood children of that couple would inherit through the father's brother when he dies without a will. Would that adopted child also inherit through that father's brother? The from adopted father's seen, brother? From what I've seen in the courts, that child, if it's adopted, is considered a sanguine heir, a blood heir in Mississippi through chance report. But you have to provide those papers to show that a chance report judge has actually granted the adoption and it's been filed with the courts. Well, what happens if somebody um, thinks they're adopted and maybe somebody started the process and they had some papers and they didn't follow through and they've called that person mom or dad their whole, their whole lives and then later when that mom or dad dies, they find out they were never actually adopted. Do they have any rights at all? It's, it's similar to having someone who's been married for years and they find out later on that the child was not his natural father finds out that the child was not his natural child. But then when he dies, that child had a relationship with the child, with the father. He was treated, I, I would make an argument that there could be a chance of inheriting, but again, it goes back to that chance report and it goes back to those blood rights. If the child has not been adopted through the chance report though, the probate laws are pretty specific about it. You have to show that either there is a name on the birth certificate, there's a chance report document, or there's been some type of paternity test established to show that it is a blood heir for them to inherit as an heir at law. Tina, the, throughout the show, we've mentioned special needs, and those are just two words that in different situations may give different connotations. For adoption, what are some things that mean special needs? Well, a special needs in the medical sense is a child who has a, dis a disability, whether it be um, mental or physical, that they can't, you know, they have needs that are above and beyond those of what the rest of us, as I like to call us, do. I'm general counsel for a special needs organization on the Gulf Coast. So special needs, as far as from a medical standpoint, are completely different than special needs for adoption. A special needs child is also considered high risk. There are some barriers to adoption that otherwise, you know, most children, and you know, we talked about adopting that baby, that the baby's not going to face. If the child is at a higher age, usually if they're six years of age or older, 
if they're, again, a member of a sibling group. So say the parents died and they left behind four siblings, and we really want to keep those kids together, obviously, but that's going to be considered a special needs or a high-risk adoption because it's more than just that one child. A physical disability, developmental, emotional disturbance, or if the child went through abuse at a young age or at the present age, that would cause them to possibly have special needs later on. Those are your high-risk special needs adoptions when it comes to adoption law. All right. Well, this has just flown by. Thank you, <laughs> Attorney Tina Seymour Demoran, for being our guest from the Seymour Law Firm on the coast. That's going to wrap us up for today for In Legal Terms. I want to thank Michelle McAdoo and Jay White for helping us here in Jackson. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, and we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.